Start your engines and join me in the new mobile game, RuPaul's Drag Race Superstar. May the best superstar win. Available now. In a world full of straight people, aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. I'm Matt McConkey. I'm a writer, actor, and devoted fan of Sex and the City and And Just Like That. And I've spent so much time and energy fervently defending the show that I couldn't help but wonder, should I do a podcast about this? The answer, of course, is no, but And Just Like Matt is more than a podcast. It's a faith-based community with a shared mission to bring back Samantha full-time. And it's also a call to action. It's a plea because I'm begging you just like me. Come on, you know you want to. And maybe after you give this episode a listen, you will. Well, to quote Todd Rundgren, hello, it's me. And today I'm going back, back, back in time to the first two episodes of In Just Like That, season one. And I will not be doing it alone. I am joined by two of the greats, two of the brightest lights. Uh, first, she is a TV writer and she's the host of the podcast Nobody's Listening Right and The One Short Thing, Elizabeth Lame. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I, I couldn't be more excited. And also emotionally um, bracing myself <laughs> to discuss <laughs> what's same. coming. That's the right energy to come in with. Also, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He is, of course, the host of the Everything Iconic podcast, Danny Pellegrino. Hello. Hello. Hi, Matt. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm so excited, too. I'm, I'm also feeling emotionally raw. And I hope we come into this with open hearts and open minds, because I think we've been thrown through quite a journey with yeah. it, just like that over the course of two years or so, however long it's been. I don't know. Time is confusing in the world of it, just like that. But we'll get there. Yes, that's one of the many things we got to unpack. But it's really nice to have you two both here because you're really coming into it, you know, both with love, but also a kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, first, I'm sure everyone knows this. Danny, I think you would qualify as a fellow obsessive. Is that accurate? Yes, that's accurate. I think it's crazy and I love it. And I kind of feel like I'm of that, um, the yin and yang where I find it both the best show on television and the worst show on television. Mm. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I will fall apart if it ever ends. Same. But it's crazy. I think it is crazy. Yeah, it's sometimes the only thing holding me together, hence covering <laughs> season one after season two ended. And Elizabeth, you're coming in with uh, with fresher eyes. Yes. Yes. I hadn't watched one iota of this show until yesterday around 2 p.m. <laughs> and I finished the second episode of season one about a half hour ago. And I had to go wash my whole face off and like get out eye makeup remover. <laughs> and Andy, my husband came in. He's like, what is happening? <laughs> it's really I'm like, where have I been all this time, first of all? And interestingly, yeah. I recently have binged Emily in Paris. Which ah. is kind of a 
you know, a sister show. Spiritually yeah. similar. Mm-hmm. And um, created by Darren Starr. And so I have felt like my toes been in the lake of this show without fully immersing. Yeah. But here I am. I've been baptized, dunked under, and uh, I'm all in. I'm all. Oh, well. So you'll keep going, Elizabeth, you think? I absolutely. hundred percent will. You know, I believe in fate and like timing. And <laughs> I do think this came at a time where I had finished Emily in Paris. I needed something of this kind of comfort ilk, I guess. And I will also say that I moved to New York City when I was in 2002. So like the height of sex in the city. And I thought I was living sex in the city. I moved there with a bunch of girlfriends, even though what we really were doing was working in like the pit at an ad agency and then getting Chinese food and sitting around like a basement apartment. But we were like, we're so sex in the city Um, (laughs) and watched it. And that was such a formative time in my life. And so I feel like now I'm watching myself 20 years later and it's very, it has a deeper meaning, I think, than I was definitely, I was not prepared for that. So. Well, and season one, I feel like is such a different tonally because season one, obviously that first episode right after that, you're dealing with the aftermath of a death of a major character. And so I feel like season one of it, just like that is heavier than season two in so many ways. And I'm actually rewatching the original Sex in the City. I'm, I recap it on this Patreon service thing. And um, it's fascinating. I just got to like the big Aiden love triangle in the original Sex in the mm. City and kind of watching that after just having watched and just like that. I don't know. My brain is sort of all over the place in, in time and space. But Elizabeth, it's interesting you mentioned the Emily in Paris because I do think there's so many of these like spiritual sisters to and just like that. And I feel like, Matt, I'm curious if you would agree with this, but like morning show to me is so different, but I feel like it also gives a lot of the same energy. Does that make, do you get that? Absolutely. There are, cause you know, the morning show, there are also moments where you're like, what's happening. (laughs) And yet you're just so happy to have these actresses on your TV at this time in your, in your life. You know, I've said before, like I would love nothing more than Alex Levy, Jen Aniston's character to join the, and just like that universe. I don't see any reason that, that she couldn't, you know? Yeah. Put it out there. Danny, when you bring up the big Aiden triangle in the original, where do you fall in the big versus Aiden question, especially given everything that we have been through in season two? Well, I don't want to spoil anything for Elizabeth, but I will answer that question with some spoilers. Okay. So I originally was all team Aiden. When I watched the original series, I was like, how could she do that? And I think that was sort of the point when she cheats on Aiden in the original with big. I think the point is that she was a complicated character and people do these messed up things. And I thought it was so revolutionary, particularly looking at it at the time of late nineties or uh, I don't remember when season three aired, maybe it was around 2000, but I think that was still so much earlier in the television landscape where we weren't getting so many of these complicated lead characters who can really fuck up or do horrible things and still continue watching them. So I thought that was like so revolutionary to have Carrie Bradshaw as this lead character cheat on this guy who at the that moment was still seemingly perfect. I mean, he was, they didn't have many fights or anything. And so I was, but I was still mad at her as a viewer. I thought, how could you do that to Aiden? I was, I loved him and all of his turquoise jewelry <laughs> and everything that he was doing in that original series. So that's where I came at 
even through the movies, I was like, I don't like big. I always thought big was an asshole. Mm -hmm. And I understood the argument of like, well, maybe Carrie and big deserve each other because they're both kind of assholes. And so I get that, but I always rooted for Aiden. And then post season two of in just like that, now I hate Aiden again, or now I hate Aiden for the first time. I should say. That's interesting. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I have some strong feelings too about those men, but Let's just jump into episode one. And please, as we go, feel free to take as many detours as we need through time and space backward and forward, um, because there's just so much to unpack. But so we kick off the first episode. You know, it's this new chapter in our lives. Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte waiting for a table. We run into Bitsy immediately establishing, you know, the the question on everybody's minds. How are they going to address Samantha? We learn that she is not dead, but dead to us. So, Elizabeth, how have you processed Samantha's absence? Well, I've I've gone through. Okay, I do want to say this. I do know the spoiler because I read about it that she is going to have a cameo or has had a cameo. (gasps) And so. (laughs) I to speak to that, I also have to speak to episode two that. So at first I was like, okay, well they're handling this. And I kind of loved it. Cause I felt like I was on an, in an inside joke, not joke, an inside pain of like Sarah Jessica Parker's when she's like, well, I called her and I called her and she's not talking to any of this. And I was like, Ooh, this is good. Like, and being a TV writer, sometimes you do get in those little digs in a like weird way. Um, mm-hmm. so I felt like I was in on something and I thought it was handled pretty well. After losing big, I got really upset. And, you know, I I really was like, how are they going to do this? If Samantha isn't there for Carrie through this, then I am never going to like that's she's dead. She's gone. You know, I feel like when you lose people and some people show up and surprise you and then some people don't, those people like you don't need them anymore. And I burst into tears. (laughs) It turns out the flowers, the flowers were from Samantha. I flowers, like, yeah. I really lost it. Um, so I think that they've done a really good job and of, of setting up that she's not there of establishing the pain of not having a friend like that in your life. But then also some things happen that transcends whatever your petty bullshit is. And in this case, you know, the gesture Samantha could make to be there for Carrie was sending this gorgeous, huge flower arrangement. Danny, how has this all gone down for you emotionally and spiritually? I miss Kim Cattrall. I think the little cameo that we got of her in and just like that was fine, but it just ultimately left me wanting so much more because I, I do miss the character so much. And I think they did handle it as best they could considering their circumstances, but I'm endlessly fascinated, Matt. I know you just interviewed Michael Patrick King, and I wonder if you got any insight about, like, I want to know, like, who forced them to do the Kim Cattrall cameo? Because I don't think, at least from what I understand, I don't think Michael Patrick King would have wanted that because it seemed like they had maybe their own thing. And then I think also SJP and her had a very Mm -hmm. public thing. And so I'm like, well, those are seemingly the two main creative forces behind this show. So it must have been someone higher up who was like, we have to put this cameo in. So like, I'm endlessly fascinated by the logistics of that, not to take us too off track with the season one and two recap, but it does leave a hole in my heart. And I, and I, so I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it so that I can understand whether or not we could potentially possibly 
in the future expect even a little bit more? Well, listen, he is way too diplomatic and kind to ever say anything, you know, to ever speak ill of any of the actors. And, um, uh, but I, and this is not, I, tea. I think this is like out there, like Hollywood types. I know talk shit. it's, it's tricky that he's, <laughs> give us the dirt. he's very much not a monster, unfortunately <laughs> also does listen to this show. So keep, you know, let's just, all just keep that in mind as we, uh, we as we lovingly love him. Yeah. Hire me. I love, love him more than love to work with him. Uh, and we need a season three of the comeback. We need oh, season three of the thank comeback. You. We we ever. Best show of, of all time. Oh my gosh. I've been, I, you're, time. you're so right, Danny. And I've been beating my, my, my Samantha drum so hard that I've abandoned that cause. And that's a very much, mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, that's a worthy cause. We need that absolutely after. And just like that season three. But I think I read this on one of the like, I don't think this is not like insider knowledge I have, but that the like the head of HBO came to the show, came to like Michael Patrick and the, and the other powers being said, like, here's something we want you to do. And uh, and they okay. were like, OK. And and as you know, you know, from her, the press that she's done, they were just like, how much will it take for you to come and do a cameo? And she was like, I don't know, it's like one point six million dollars or something like that and i don't want to see anybody or talk to anybody and it's because there are there are there are kind of the two sort of i don't want to say teams but we got all of the you know our loved ones from the show that we're currently watching and then over here we've got your kim cattrall and your patricia field your darren star and your um candace bushnell is that right so there's kind of a divide that's my impression Hmm. again knowing nothing this is all just sort of based off vibes um okay yeah and, yeah. and reading between the I, lines, reading between I the lines it's also clear yeah uh, some of this stuff even with the i i sort of had these hopes that kim cattrall would do the cameo with the other gals with you know cynthia nixon mm. or kristen davis or, or some other character so i think i was even a little bit let down although i loved it i Same. i wish i could have seen that character with literally anyone from the world that we know but it was a beautiful moment This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I'm a big therapy person. I would say for me, the greatest benefit of therapy, if I can look back at all of the years that I have spent in therapy, has been changing the way that I speak to myself internally. You know, everybody always says like, yeah, treat yourself the way that you would treat a friend. That's much easier said than done. So many of us are our own worst critics and it, it, it takes some, some, some help to untangle that. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's entirely online. So it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So take a moment, visit betterhelp.com slash like Matt today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash like Matt. You know, this show is all about honest conversations where we, we really face our fears. And for some of us, it's a fear of aging. For some of us, it's a fear of carbs. And hey, I get it. The fear is real. But that is why I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Hero Bread. Hero Bread has remade many of your favorite foods but in these fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams sugar, and fewer calories, plus 
protein, and fiber. Two of my favorite things. I've always said, if I ever have twin children, their names are going to be protein and fiber. What did I have for lunch today? A tuna sandwich on their seeded bread. It was the perfect texture. It toasts up just like a dream. My God, was it good. And right now, if you go to hero.co and use code like Matt, you will get 10% off your first order. So don't give up on being a breadhead because Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co, use code like Matt at checkout. That's like Matt at H E R O.co. Well, getting back to the, uh, episode one, you know, we, we learn in this opener that Carrie, of course, has a podcast and she's ever so slightly annoyed that Miranda doesn't listen to it. And I was so excited to talk to you two specifically about this because I, it didn't, I didn't really think about this the first time around, but as podcasters, is it a requirement for your loved ones to be loyal listeners? Oh, Lord, no. No, 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 no. None of my loved ones listen to my Same. show. Weirdly enough, my <laughs> sister, brother-in-law, other brother-in-law, a lot of our loved ones do listen to, so my podcast is, I do it with my husband. Um, nobody's listening, right? Check it out. And I love that they listen. It means a lot, but sometimes it catches me off guard when they know about something or they'll randomly text me something related to the podcast I recorded two weeks ago. And especially with my sister <laughs> and her listening really is like the most touching, but she'll correct me a lot. She'll be like, it didn't happen the way you, <laughs> which is uh, kind of funny, but I don't expect anyone. I still wonder why anyone listens to any podcast. I, I do. So I'm sort of similar. My parents, uh, my mom tried to listen. Sometimes I'll have a guest on, like I had uh, Marie Osmond on someone like my mom really likes. So it'd be someone random like that where she'll either tune in or get excited about it. But uh, the one time she listened to when I was recapping a reality show, uh, she was like, she called and she said, Dan, why are you talking so fast on that? And I tend to talk fast anyway, but I come to find out later that she had the podcast app where you could do it like 1.5 speed. Oh. Do you know what this is? Oh, yeah. And a lot of people listen to podcasts like that at 1.5 or two times the speed. And so I come to find out she was listening. So she just thought I was talking that fast and she didn't get it. <laughs> so no <laughs> one, and I have two older brothers. They don't really watch reality TV or anything, but sometimes their wives or friends or whoever will listen. And, but that's about it. That was Matt, a moment that was like, really kind of wild to me. I think having been on this journey with these gals, you know, they're older than I am, but having been in New York at that time, then getting into podcasting and like hearing that she was podcasting, that was her job was very mm. interesting to me. And I, what I really appreciate about this, I, the first, I'd say quarter of the first episode it felt a little bit like clunky, like we weren't finding our footing yet. And it felt like they were speaking to a lot of the things that like it is uncomfortable trying to slip back into this show that was. But we're in a new time, a new era, a new place. And I felt it felt a, this is going to be offensive to people, I'm sure. But it felt a little like boomery where they're like watching their words and I can't say anything. And I, you know, speaking to things like there were even a dumb thing. There was a joke about who got French fries and I'm like, Oh, diet culture. We're like, we don't, you know, those sorts of things. 
where I feel like the show, the episode found its footing, interestingly, was when Carrie was embarrassed to talk about whether or not she masturbated. And I was like, this is showing the true evolution of this character who we used to see her as, as Che did of like this kind of pioneer of talking about sexuality and women's desire and women's sexuality. And for her to have a boundary that today in today's podcasting world, we maybe don't felt so human and real. And I was so Mm. grateful for that moment. And it gave context to everyone's age in a way that felt organic versus like talking about how different things are now, you know? Yeah. You're so right. Like a lot of people have, have been like, I can't believe Carrie, you know, it's a sex writer and suddenly she doesn't want to talk about masturbation. And it's like, that's, that's always who she was. She didn't really write about her own sex. She wrote about romance, but she wrote about her friends, sex lives. And like, I don't want to talk about masturbation on a podcast. I'm, you know, I'm 27 as we all know, Mm -hmm. but also I think that the other reason things click in there is that's the moment that Carrie has her first drive Mm -hmm. in an episode. And, you know, up until then it's really just sort of been catching up. And, and this happens a lot in the show where the first couple of Carrie scenes, she's just sort of there as a sounding board for all of these other characters, including the new ones that we're now giving space to. And it sometimes takes a beat before you're like, oh, and this is what she actually wants in this episode. And at that moment, we realize like she wants to, to quote Che, step her pussy up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the one, one of the critiques I have about the podcasting situation, though, is that I, I sometimes feel like the show gives blue balls. And blue balls is a fallacy. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Danny. You know, carry metaphorical on. blue balls. No, no. Like, like metaphorical blue balls or teasing because I, I think even in the construction of the show, obviously it's going to be so jarring. The audience is going to feel so off balance no matter what they do. We're trying to get into a new series with where we have relationships with the characters from the past. So no matter what they would have done, they were already at a little bit of a setback. Of course, they have a built in audience, but the audience is going to be like, extra critical of anything they do for that first episode. But um, in terms of like the podcast and the construction of the show, I sort of naively thought, oh, this makes sense because it's just sort of an updated version of her column. So we're still going to get the voiceover in now she's doing a podcast instead of doing the column. And I think one of the best things that the original series does is the voiceovers. I don't normally like a lot of voiceover in television or film. Sometimes it's an easy way to get out exposition, but I think uh, in the original series, it really neatly puts a bow on everything and ties the storylines together. Even if sometimes those threads are loose, they still find a way in the voiceover to kind of connect them. Uh, And I think having that voiceover almost forces the storylines to connect a little bit because, you know, I would imagine at least in the writing of it, you would think, okay, we have to somehow make this a cohesive thing with all of the storylines. So anyway, um, in the first episode coming back, I think that's, it gives me a little blue balls in that way. Like I, I'm like, okay, I want the voiceover. Why aren't, and then it, then I think it seems like such an easy thing to do, (laughs) even going at the end of season one, which I know Elizabeth, you haven't gotten to, but they almost tease that as like going to be coming back for season two with the podcast and a voiceover. And then it just drops. And There are so many moments like that where I'm like, I get so excited about something, whether it be Miranda in season one going to Cleveland, which they mentioned she's going to visit Che in Cleveland. 
And then in season two, visiting Aiden in Virginia, at the farmhouse. Yeah. And I'm like, and I just feel like they're built up. And then I, I get like disappointed. You need and that release. So that's is what you're with the podcast aspect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not agree more, Danny. I, I really feel like Samantha wasn't the only character left out. And I think that the voiceover also tied in time and space in a really lovely way because sometimes you felt like she was speaking in present tense. And then it also looked like she was reflecting upon the lessons that the storyline gave us. And especially in episode two, like at the end, and just like that, Big was dead or whatever the thing Mm -hmm. was, felt so abrupt without that trail of thought carrying us through it. So I was hoping that it was going to happen at some point, but I guess it doesn't. And that's, it's such a missed opportunity. Like a podcast is the perfect vehicle for that. I wonder why they chose that. I wonder why. They have the one little, every episode they do have that. And just like that little voiceover, but they don't have the connective tissue. Yeah. I thought that's where we were going to go in series as well, that it was just, you know, the podcast was going to be the new stand-in for the column and also sort of a new way of getting a voiceover. But I also, I don't know, I suspect that especially because the show has made these efforts to be more inclusive and to like have a, you know, a cast that looks a little bit more like New York city that I suspect that because the, you know, the, the show has a, a new cast, new characters, women of color, that they felt like it wouldn't be a great look for Carrie to be telling the story oh, in a way of like these other women, the way that it used to be that she was narrating the lives of Charlotte and Miranda and Samantha. And I don't know the no again, by this is just me pulling this out my ass, but I, I'm assuming they didn't think it'd be appropriate for Carrie to be like narrating the life of Lisa. But then I also think there's an argument to be made, then change the voiceover or or alter the voiceover. I know something like Grey's Anatomy does that where they have episodes where it's narrated by other characters yeah. and, um, who's maybe a character heavy episode. I, I almost just devil's advocate. Yeah, like yeah. Then whoever's maybe the centerpiece of the episode could be. I mean, Shay was especially at the beginning doing the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm so curious. I like, I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing. I'm it sure it was. a. am sure this was like discussed. Yeah. You know, and looked at from every angle. I'm sure this was obviously a very, very thoughtful choice that they made. And and maybe it is to what Matt's saying, which I do appreciate. But yeah, I think I miss that character a little bit. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. Also, one more thing I I want to point out about the voiceover is that I feel like sometimes um, with the episodes, it could be so jarring um, because in between episodes and and I don't. I don't remember exactly in between one and two, but in between a lot of the episodes we're moving from seasons or months and it's always a different amount of time. Sometimes the episode picks up right after that last one ends and other times it's a whole season has changed. And I think sometimes settling for the audience that early voiceover would be helpful Yeah, where I'm not spending five minutes at the top of the episode, kind of getting my bearings and trying to figure out like, what is, when are we, or how much time has passed? It's like being able to just get that exposition out at the top helps me as an audience to be able to settle in and relax a little bit more because I'm <laughs> stupid. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I need someone to like hit me over the head with like, okay, wait, how long have they been dating? And like, cause in the original series, the voiceover acts so much as like Miranda and Steve have been dating now three months and they're in their first fight. Like that's would be the kind of voiceover Carrie would give. And now I'm watching the series and I'm spending so much of that 
those early couple of seconds at least. I mean, I don't want to be too dramatic, but trying to figure out when is this? Yeah, and they're trying to use dialogue to sort of like subtly let you know real quick how much time has passed or what what you need to know, sort of. Yeah, I, I mean, so anyway, Carrie has the podcast. You know, Miranda's not listening to the podcast, but I will tell you who absolutely is never listening to it and will never think of listening to it. And that is big, which brings us to him. And, you know, I was reminded watching this of my passionate feelings about him and the, the, the way that he met his fate, because in the old show and in the new show, he is someone who is always going to do him first and foremost, like very first scene, we're making our salmon and we're listening to our records. And we pose the question, you know, will he as a husband come to Lily's recital? Like, will will you come support Charlotte, the person who supported Carrie all those years you were dicking her around? Charlotte, the friend, this has been crystallized so well, even especially in this series, just what an amazing friend Charlotte is and always has been. Even when he literally left her at the altar and she iconically said, no, no, like, can you spare an hour of your precious time and maybe skip your little Peloton ride to grace us with your presence? And the answer, of course, is no. And it was always the worst. I hate him. And I was so happy to see him die. Oh, wow. Thoughts? Huh. I. I mean, I'm. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the Peloton of it all because they went through quite a journey with that whole first episode, too, because course big passes on the peloton which i don't believe the brand knew about ahead of time and then they tried to course correct with a commercial with the guy who plays big Mm -hmm. but then there was all this stuff that came out about the guy who plays big and it's just like it kept sort of spiraling downward but i was happy i I thought it was a, a really beautiful way to start the series because it gives us so much story to like go through and stuff and and i tend to like when it comes to sex and city i like the more dramatic beats i i think they're done so beautifully i think of the first movie when carrie goes to miranda's in the snow for new year's eve it's so beautiful or the original series when they say can we be each other's soulmates at carrie's birthday at the end of the night the il cantonori episode and so i love those dramatic beats and so i i think i was excited because i don't care for the character but also i just was excited to watch carrie play those layers throughout and and those are what worked the best to me in season one yeah, and it seems like she is the friend who has like maybe started to prioritize the husband over the friends a little more, even though that was never who she set out to be, who she thought she was going to be going into a marriage. And there's also the great moment when um, Big says to the three girls, you know, she already has the three loves of her life and any guy is lucky to come in fourth. And mm-hmm. and that is also so, so true. So it was just nice to get him off the board well, so let we me- can get back to basics. I had a totally different experience and this kind of goes against like, yes, objectively, it doesn't seem like it was like the healthiest relationship back in the day, but I also appreciate that he is just unapologetically himself. And I think that there are relationships where like you have your private relationship that works for you, even if other people don't get it. I mean, I don't have that relationship in the sense of like, I don't think anyone's like, Jesus Christ, what is she doing? You know, although when Andy and I first were dating in New York City, my friend Pete pulled me aside and was like, hey, I don't know about this guy, (laughs) because every time I'm out past 4 a.m., I run into him and he's alone. (laughs) Oh, my God. Andy was just a little like, you know, punk band, New York City street rat, basically. So Hmm. um, so I think. 
there's something about her getting the relationship and I, I felt comforted seeing them together and being silly together, but also him being like, of course, he's not going to Lily's recital. And I, the minute that music kicked in and it cut to him on the Peloton, I was like, no, 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 no. What? Like out the gate, you're doing this to us. Did you know going into this that Big dive no, just from like, the, the internet? No you didn't? I had no idea. Oh my God. Until the moment. Did we, wait, did we know? Did we know before? Did, was it out? No. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Elizabeth. Was that information out there or was that a surprise? I'm trying to remember. It, it had been speculated about and then they, they tried to course correct okay. by staging fake scenes with Big and, and Sarah Jessica okay. in the street so that people, but I knew, not because anyone told me, but I knew. And I willed it into existence. The second it cut to the Peloton during that like insane recital that Lily's like, I mean, mm. next level, I was like, fuck. And I will say the shot of Big, the fact that he, I'm going to start crying talking about it. He waited yeah. for her. And then I don't know how they did it. Chris North. Is it that that's his name? Chris North? Noth. Noth. The life went out of his eyes like you. There is a shot where nothing changes except you see the life leave his fucking eyes. I don't know how they did it. And uh, that really just wrecked me. I mean, you mentioned the music and I, I think it's one of the most beautiful scores. And it's something that's reprised from, I believe, the movies is when they first we first sort of heard that that little instrumental that plays when Big is in the shower mm-hmm. and. I mean, I think Sarah Jessica Parker's acting, I don't ever really think it gets enough credit. I, and I, I just think she's really good in that scene. Um, but you, you mentioned the music, and I just think it's one of the most beautiful instrumentals. And uh, you can listen to, I think, more of it on that first Sex and the City movie soundtrack. But as soon as it kicks in, it's sort of like nostalgic, but then also there's all this emotion of what's newly happening with the characters. And I think it's one of the high points for the whole show, even though it is devastating. Yeah. Um, also just a quick side note, observation is a, a veteran of soul cycle. No big deal. Um, <laughs> his form on the bike is not good. It doesn't look um, like someone who's logged a thousand rides or whatever it sure was. Sure don't. Oh. Yeah, he wasn't doing Cody Rigsby's classes. Absolutely well, maybe not. we'll give him Popping a pass for, for like not doing his Peloton research, just the way he was able to shut off all bodily functions in that one moment. <laughs> you know, the Internet was also upset that Carrie didn't call 911 and that she that she took that moment to like hold him up and kiss him and cry rather than like immediately drop him. Find, you know, his phone is in the shower, but find her own grab up, do something. But well, I don't know, rewatching it, it just felt like it it must have just been so obvious that he he was already gone and it was too late. Also, it's so easier, easy to say what you would do. But I think in situations like that, you're not really logical. You're not really able to. I don't know. I, I just think there's so much emotion behind that moment that and I agree with you, Matt. I don't I think she sort of knew that he was going. And yeah, this was it. But also just devil's advocate again, it's like so flustered in that moment it's like maybe she did call after the camera cut and it just didn't happen right time yeah but. there's this oh yeah there's this video i just watched i because i i'm like such a sucker for buying things that i'll throw away eventually and this was a like this face mask that if someone's choking 
you like put it on them. It has this tube and you basically plunge. Now you're supposed to do Heimlich first, but this is like a backup plan. But as an ad for this product, there was this video that was real of this mom choking. And it was so fast. I mean, she lived, but hopefully with this ad, um, it was so fascinating because like her adult daughter just starts fucking screaming and like, like the worst thing you could possibly do during this time, you know, like she's just mm-hmm. screaming and looking around and waving her arms, like doing nothing. Then the dad comes in and he goes to start doing the Heimlich. And then like someone else, everyone just re- responds so differently. And I mean, you do hope that you'll do the thing that would save the person, but that's not always the case. It's not always the case, but also you're so right, Danny. She obviously did call 911 the moment yeah. that, you know, she said, and just like that, they died. So meanwhile, our best friend Miranda, you know, is just trying to get a sensible 10 a.m. glass of Chablis everywhere she goes. And then we have this, you know, infamous monologue in her first her first class when she first meets Naya and says all the wrong things. And this was another thing that the, the Internet really, you know, they got on a, a kick about how they don't like the new Miranda. But my hot take is that that scene works. Mm. This must be one of the things you, you <laughs> felt were boomery, Elizabeth. Yeah, I think so. And I think if it had been Charlotte. I would buy that. I think Miranda would have been, I mean, it does feel like we're jumping in and she's like TikTok, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I think she would have kept up on all of the, you know, things happening and the climates of um, racial change and all of, you know, understands non-binary and all of everything. And if it had been Charlotte, I feel like she would have evolved to the point of actually recognizing that she's stepping on her own toes the way Miranda was. Whereas I don't think Miranda would be making the same mistakes and definitely not in such a fumbling way. Remember, she's a little bit drunk. Right. That's true. And we'll give her that. Yes. But you know what I did appreciate? I think it's brave for a show to do this, even though I do feel like it's a little much. I think it's brave for a show to show characters who aren't perfect, aren't saying all the right things all the time, are trying. So I applaud them for that. But I did just, I just felt like it didn't feel 100% in line with the Miranda I know. But not to go back to this, but I also think that the audience, we've all filled in their narratives, almost thinking that they would never return. We were with them for seven seasons and two movies. And so I think as an audience, we sort of think about where the characters would be, how they would be interacting in the real world. And so we come into and just like that with these ideas of like, oh, this is where Miranda would be, mm-hmm. or this is how she would be. Or even with something like technology, I, Elizabeth, I think you mentioned, did you mention technology? Or yeah. Am I making that up? TikTok. Um, oh yeah, TikTok. So when we see Miranda like stumbling with using cell phones or TikTok or uh, in the new series, we're thinking, oh, well, she had a Palm Pilot in the original. She was advanced in technology. And so we sort of have already filled in the blanks of how Miranda would be with current technology. Even even if we weren't cognizant of it, I think as an audience, we're watching thinking, no, that's not how she would react. And that's kind of why I think it's such an uphill battle for them doing this show. But I, I tend to agree with Elizabeth. I, I, I just felt maybe it was too, it was just, it almost felt like beating us over the head with Miranda's foibles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we move on to episode two, just quickly, your, your, your truest realist feelings on, on Che. Danny, where do you 
fall with the Che Diaz at all. I don't, I don't care for Che Diaz. I, if I could sort of go back and retcon, if I had the power to retcon, I think one of the things that would have helped the audience so much with Che Diaz is making them a singer instead of a stand-up because it's hard for the audience to watch any stand-up in a scripted world. The audience is thinking, oh, we're funnier than that person is. How are they a stand-up? Right, player? right. And the actor has such a beautiful voice. I, don't, I think that shift would have changed so much and still maybe there would have been plenty of complaints with the character Che Diaz. I, I think people would have disliked the character and some might've liked the character, but I think that shift could have helped things so, so much, but I don't care for Che Diaz. And I'm, I'm shocked that after now two seasons where it seems like the audience is very widely hates this character, right? Like, I, I don't think I'm making that up. Even after season one, it was so shocking to me that then they were like, let's, bring the character back for season two with even more storyline. And now I'm curious to see in season three of like, well, the audience rejected the character again. And it seems maybe Sarah Ramirez even has some issues with the character based on an Instagram post. So I wonder if the character will come back, but I, I always love, I was excited about Sarah Ramirez being in this because I'm a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. And so I was just excited. Yeah, Sara Ramirez is is a powerhouse actor. Is just great, you know. And um, Che is who Che is, and that's who people are reacting to, you know. Not not the actor, but I I've tried to I I, I tried to sort of poke around this uh, circle this with Michael Patrick a little bit, and of course he gave me nothing. Where it was like, does seem like this would be a good time to maybe let Che move on and. You know, give, give some more room to the other characters or bring in Alex Levy from the morning show, you know, <laughs> exactly. use that real estate elsewhere. But uh, Dr. Naya Wallace, though, is also in the morning show. And so there might oh, be a right. problem with that. Yeah, that would uh, be hard. Unless, is there a world where where a professor is also a TV news producer? Hmm. In this world, there can be. Yeah, I certainly. Think. I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, okay. So episode two, little black dress. This is, I think may, my favorite episode of, and just like that. And one of my favorite episodes of the entire sex in the city universe. I've seen this one several times. I cry through the entire thing. Like this time, especially it struck me how much you can just viscerally feel those like day of an important funeral vibes where it's like, everything is a little bit blurry and surreal and you're so raw and tender and you know you haven't slept you're dehydrated you just want like a cocktail and a sleeping pill but elizabeth you know you your your podcast uh the one sure thing is is about death so i I consider you kind of a grief guru so (laughs) i'm curious how you feel um grief is depicted in this episode i i think really well i i the last episode I saw about grief of television, which I think was, I uh, was polarizing, but I thought was art, like just was succession. Oh yeah. The way they didn't edit out the, the like space that needs to be there. And similarly, I loved that, um, Carrie's, Carrie was didn't have many lines in this episode. She was just kind of walking through the fog of what people were bringing to her. 
And I also loved that, again, it showed characters being messy, like friends who desperately want to be there for their friend and don't know how and or just can't because they're so consumed with how much they want to be there for her. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, really well done. And I loved that, you know, Carrie has rage and we all do this. I think when we lose someone, we all go to like, what did I do wrong? Like, why didn't I prevent this? You know, and I, I felt that rage throughout like simmering, you know, we saw a glimpse of it with the flowers when she walked into the space and said, like, I told them no flowers, um, which I also it was interesting because I was like, oh, but the flowers are beautiful. This is before I knew they were from Samantha. Hmm. But I thought without the flowers, that space would be so stark and the Uh casket would just be, feel so naked and like, I don't know, it almost, it almost rang true to, I think the, the vibe of like Carrie's emotional state. So I appreciated that, but yeah, I thought this was a really incredible episode. I was very moved especially by the Samantha of it all. One thing that I found interesting, I will say, Miranda's speech, I didn't, Mm. I didn't love. And um, it felt a little impersonal, or is that the word? Impersonable? Impersonal? Impersonal. And to then hear that it came from Carrie, it made it both better and worse. If that makes sense. Um, did, did you guys re- have a response to that? Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way where it always takes me a little by surprise when she sits down and Charlotte says, that was beautiful. Because I'm like, was it? And then she goes, yeah, Carrie wrote it. And Charlotte's like, of course. Because it was, it, I, I thought it was almost meant to be a comedic disaster, especially when she, 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 make, she says, does she say, very big hole at some point. She's something about a big hole. It's like, we're not Stanford's Ladies not going to make a Stanford and Anthony aren't going to make a crack about this, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, the other thing that's really stood out to me on this rewatch was how much like you were kind of hinting at this earlier, Danny, like Carrie has an edge to her, you know, she can be really yeah. prickly and obviously on the day of your husband's funeral, nobody's going to be in great spirits, but, we were kind of reminded of that, that she's like, sometimes she wants things to be absolutely perfect and she's not going to be warm and fuzzy about it. Yeah. I like times uh, in the entirety of the series as a whole of when they let Carrie just be mean to just be mean. I don't think the character is innately mean, but I, she has these moments throughout where that edge comes through and unapologetically. And I think people are like that in real life. So I, I always like that. And I kind of like the, um, speech in that I was thinking, you know, Carrie is such a, is a writer. And so there was something interesting to me about like, but not great at writing something like Mm. that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, it was bad, but I don't know. Not that her other writing is so Pulitzer prize winning, but it was like, oh yeah, she can't write this. She could write about an orgasm or sex situation, but when it comes to this, it's a little messy. Yeah. I, yeah. 
I guess, yeah, and I think it goes to the, like, Stark thing. I mean, it's a very bare-bones, stripped-down speech that, uh, knowing she wrote it, it obviously was, like, deliberate choices to do it that way. Um, But the other thing I did appreciate, speaking of her edge, I feel like if I were writing this episode, I would be so tempted to have when, like, Bitsy comes up and she's like, you're so lucky you get to do this because my Bobby, or is that, what's her name? Mitzi? Yeah, yeah, um, Mitzi. Like, to not have her then turn to Miranda and be like, can you believe this shit? Or, like, mm. oh, yes, there were no quips like that. I mean, and, and the person who came up and was like, you're forgiven, you know, all of the kind of bad etiquette, weird things that people say at funerals that, I mean, you know. I, I would have loved to have been in that writer's room when they were pitching <laughs> the true stories mm-hmm. that happened to them. And I loved that Carrie didn't snap until she was like in her safe space with the person who wanted to be there for her the whole time. I'm going to get emotional again and was not able to, but ultimately really was because she was the landing spot for all of Carrie's, you know, guilt and anger. Um, I really loved that. I do too. I mean, yeah. The way, yeah. No, go ahead. Dave. The way they threaded Samantha in the first season, despite me missing the character so much with the text messaging and with the funeral. And I just think it was threaded so beautifully and, and true to life. And yeah, I, I, I hope actually in going forward in like season three, we get a little bit more of their relationship, even though the character, even though the actor might not want to be in it. Cause I, I found that to be a high point of that first season yeah i missed the texts i'm like even if you're just going to give us the text my only beef about it was like you know i I understand the justification behind coming this is a spoiler elizabeth i don't know how to get around this one for you but go for it you know we when we come back to season two and we never get a recap of what happened at that dinner between carrie and samantha I understand why in a sense that it's like the point is they are the the point the, the important thing is that that it happened and that they're they're okay now. Like, yeah, Samantha's not physically in her life, but like they're good. But it's just, we start off this whole season, episode one, talking about how uh, painful this rift is and how we, we don't understand why this happened. And, and, and this like work PR money thing doesn't make any sense. And I did feel like, don't you owe it to us to at least answer that question? And I felt in season two, taking us off track again, I apologize, but uh, there was a moment in season two with Seema outside of the hair salon Mm. where it was so informed by Carrie's relationship with Samantha. It was Seema saying, I don't want to hang out with you in this way. And Carrie was feeling the effects of her relationship with Samantha and really uh, emotionally opening up to Seema and saying, we, I can't let this happen. Like we have to make this relationship. And then to have Samantha a couple episodes later, seemingly all is good i thought okay well there were so much interesting things that we were dealing with with carrie and samantha and then it feels like it just sort of dissipated blue balls can we title this episode blue balls i'd love to this is funny danny because Um, i don't even think i've ever used that term in my whole life well what's what's really interesting about (laughs) it is the last two episodes of my podcast with my husband we talked about blue balls and I was like grilling him about what it was. And he was being kind of vague and like, and then so many listeners were like, it's a fallacy. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sent me stuff. And so then 
last week's episode, I was coming back at him and I'm like, <laughs> so blue balls has really been in my life in a big way. Hmm. It must have subconsciously like somehow gotten to my head because I swear I've never used that term very often at all, if ever. And now here I come on this microphone and I just keep saying it, but it's that tease. Like, right. I don't want to be teased so much or, or if you're going to tease me with a storyline or an appearance or something like, just give me a little bit less so that I'm not expecting the full enchilada. Well, let's talk about Kristen Davis because Charlotte is such a revelation. And I think it especially starts like this, these moments that you were referring to Elizabeth, because, you know, Kristen Davis doesn't always get her flowers in conversations about the show, but she breaks my heart, especially in episode two, starting when Carrie says, to Miranda and Charlotte that the flowers are from Samantha and and Charlotte like immediately wells up uh and even that scene with her sitting in like the closet with her daughters talking about death like her heart is so giant you know and that like she she loves her friends so much that she this loss is it's almost like she's lost her own husband even though big wasn't a great friend to her uh I, I don't know. I don't have a point other than to just like give her an yeah, Emmy. Kristen Davis is so good and in, incredible. And I think she handles the comedy really well and the drama. Uh, I, I love her. And I almost think it's the actors and the characters of Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, and Charlotte were just like so good. And maybe that brings us to the problem with the sequel series or whatever is that they're just so well defined. I mean, I feel like you, we all say, oh, we know a Charlotte or we are a Charlotte. We know a Miranda. We are a Miranda or Samantha. And um, so we just associate, it's just so good. We associate Kristen Davis with the character. And I think sometimes maybe we could miss some of the nuance that she might bring to it because they're so good. Yeah. Is that stupid? Not at all. No, she's just, she's my, it's, I, I mean, I said this, I think like last week on the show, but like the, something that has really jumped out at me doing this podcast is how many people talk about either feeling like they are a Charlotte now, or that um, just like the importance of Charlotte in their lives in a way that like, I think when we were young, we were watching the original sex in the city. We, we didn't give her a second thought. We were just like, I'm either a carrier. I'm a Samantha or I'm both. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to be the girl who just wants to get married and have kids. And, you know, can I say one thing? I just watched the episode of season three where, uh, Kim Cattrall's character, Samantha, is going down on Bobby Cannavale's character. And he's got, and I quote, the funkiest tasting spot. Uh, of course. And it's sort of a, it's sort of a memorable moment. Everyone remembers Kim Cattrall delivering that line. But there's, uh, it, it cuts from Samantha giving head. It immediately cuts to all the gals at brunch. And Samantha gives that infamous line. I'm dating a guy with the funkiest tasting spunk. And immediately the Kristen Davis character just walks out of the brunch, storms out the door because she's like so offended that the brunch has dissolved into this type of conversation. And it was like a bridge too far. But I always kind of remembered that Kim Cattrall moment. But in rewatching it, I was like, holy fuck, like that's the funniest thing is that that character immediately is so offended by that line of dialogue. She's out. Like just storms out of brunch. The only time I believe unless I'm wrong, I, I think it's the only time where the character gets like, it's a bridge too far. Samantha went too far for, for Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautifully portrayed of her storming out. I, I don't know. I just think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And uh, I don't know if that moment really gets the credit, but it's all, a, it's all a Charlotte. Yeah. I remember that. And I also remember it just being 
like to me, it was, it was not even that that line was a bridge too far. It was just like, I just want to have like a nice brunch (laughs) where we can talk about, you know, like rings or like whatever it is. Mm. And of course now we're going into Spunkville, you know, and I feel like she had just, she just had it. I, I recall that. She had it. It's such a good moment. so good. I do identify somewhat as a Charlotte, but not all the way. I see that. Um, but you know, I'm definitely like, uh, I guess, am I, I don't know. Am I, Matt, you know me. What do you think I am? I'm saying a Charlotte. I think also just like your, your, your sensitivity and just how close to the surface your emotions are, like how available you are emotionally and and your, your, your vulnerability, like. And you have a beautiful family. I'm married to a Jew. You've got you've got your own Harry. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, there are a lot of parallels. I, I think you're a pretty clear Charlotte. Okay. All right. And that's the highest uh, compliment. Danny, do you are you a Carrie or a hybrid or a Che? I think I identify most as a no um, as a Charlotte. I think I I identify most as. Oh yeah. But yeah, maybe a little bit of all of them. Having just known you for this hour, I would say I definitely see Charlotte and I also see Carrie, not Mm -hmm. the edge part of her, but I think the kind of like, um, you seem like you have a curiosity and a joy in life that I think Carrie walks through this world with, as my husband says, Oh wait, how did he say it? You need a little more. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) In your life. I think you have that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. You know, I do. Carrie does have this tick that I, I have caught myself doing. Where, I don't know if you notice, you'll probably all notice, of course, watching it now. She always goes, Oh, Oh, like she adds these like little, like, oh, like <laughs> <laughs> where it's, I feel like it's clearly not in the script, but she'll just add like, Oh, oh. I don't know how I'm doing it. Yes, you'll notice it, yes, when you're yes. watching it, but they're like these little vocal things where it, It'll like cut away. And there's that famous meme going around where she's got the martini in her hand. She's like, you just don't get it. And she's like, oh, she looks around. Oh God. I love that one. I, I tend, I feel like I have a little vocal tick, which is not personality related, but I do have that. (laughs) Uh, Before I let you go. Okay. In the rewatch of episode two, I discovered something explosive that is I, I almost was like, should I say this out loud on the podcast? Because it feels like it like tears at the fabric of the universe a little bit. So before the and Elizabeth, this won't mean as much to you because you haven't seen season two. But Danny, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. So Lisa Todd Wexley comes over. There's this, you know, she Charlotte forgot to cancel lunch um, and Charlotte's about to go to the funeral. And Charlotte's crying. And Lisa says, I get it. When I lost my father, I was a mess. But I lost my father, the father who we meet in oh season God. two at her anniversary dinner, played by Billy D. Williams. He's a fam- the character's a famous playwright. He's got a whole backstory. And of course, I like I, didn't I, catch I, I, I paused the TV and I'm like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And my husband's like, what are you talking about? But I, of course, think I'm the first person to discover this. And then I Google and there's like a million Reddit <laughs> threads dedicated to this thing. So it's, it's actually not uh, news at all. Well, but it's got to be mentioned. When you're watching these shows and taking notes and recapping and stuff like that, you're, we're looking at them through such a critical lens. And like, I, I find that really frustrating is sometimes when I'm on my show, I've been recapping and just like that season two. And 
I can feel so critical because I'm literally writing things down and noticing these plot holes and stuff. And then I have to sort of remind myself, like, this isn't just like that. Like, we're not, I mean, it's, you know, this is supposed to be a fun show. And I'm like, well, they screwed that up or they screwed this up. And I feel so nitpicky sometimes, but it is, I don't know, something like that can be frustrating. It's like, just make that a different character, right? Right. Like just instead uh of bringing in the father then, if, that you said was dead, let's bring in a different character. And I'm sure if I know my best friend, Michael Patrick, as well as I do, I'm sure in season three, there's a major correction coming where we learn that like Lisa had two dads or she was adopted and, and, and the Billy D Williams character was like her oh. birth dad or something. And the other, the dad who passed was there, whatever. Some, there will be, there will be a reason. She's going to do a 23 and sure. me. And it's gotta be 23 yeah. and me. <laughs> Like, of course, every show has to yeah. have one 23 and me reference. Right. Absolutely. Figure out the ancestry. Matt, did you ever talk about, forgive me, the dementia theory that's going around online? No. Did you discuss this? I don't even know the theory. Okay. I feel like I should just tell everyone to look it up because I don't think I'll explain it properly, but there is a viral TikTok that's going around with a theory that Carrie in the new series has dementia and they point to. And I, I don't think it's real, mm. but somebody did collect a bunch of moments. There are, there's a moment from the funeral Yeah, episode. she goes, what are you doing? There's a bunch and, of moments. Uh, oh, yeah, Miranda's like, I'm making coffee. And I did feel like that was mm-hmm. abrupt. I thought it was speaking to the throes of grief where you're, you're scrambled. But she yeah. seemed to go in and out of lucidity so suddenly. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's, yeah, and apparently there's like a lot of different moments. and then. I could be misquoting this, but I think there's also something from the early seasons or something where, I don't know, there's this thread, but I encourage everyone to look it up. Matt, you got to look it up and just look up Carrie Bradshaw dementia theory. And somebody has gone to like painstaking lengths and I've seen like follow-up videos and stuff. And so I don't believe it, but it is very interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. Last, last thing is that at the funeral, when we have Che and Miranda's meet cute and this kicks off this relationship that basically, you know, tears the Internet apart. I got to say worked for me. The meet cute, the, the hating each other right off the bat. You know, Che's given Brady weed and Miranda um, flips out. I was feeling it. I did not agree. No, I don't know. I just think the giving Brady the weed, it was just, it felt all kind of cringy to me. I also had a hard time with it just because, I mean, seems like just upon appearances, you might assume that Che is non-binary or gender non-conforming. And the way Miranda had been tripping head over heels to avoid, you know, like saying, saying the wrong the thing, wrong thing or being then it comes in the white savior complex and her just, it felt just on the heels of all of that. I kind of didn't buy that she would go off the way she did, but you know, I didn't know it was their meat cute really. So that's fun. You didn't. Oh, wow. I, I've, I, I could feel the chemistry leaping off the screen. <laughs> I do love, there were some moments, especially in season one, I think Che and Miranda had some really incredible there's a whole episode down the line where Shay and Miranda are in Carrie's kitchen, which I won't spoil. But to me, that was like a high point as well, because it it was so weird and crazy. And I so I, I there were definitely moments. I, I'm not someone who I feel like I've talked so much shit about Che this episode, but I think there have been some great moments with Che as well. Agreed. You yeah. Far between. But I I'm going to have my friend Claire Muckerjee is the rare oh, I love Che her. fan. 
she's going to come on the show and be a full like you know che che truther and we're going to finally hear the other side of of this conversation can i say not to step on claire's forthcoming and it will sound so much better than what i'm about to say because it's in a british accent right um Mm -hmm. is i like che i feel like uh that sort of personality is very true to the like culture right now. Standups. And yeah, like unapologetic standups that are like hard pointing at change that needs to happen or about like, and I, I got excited to see them. Honestly, at first I was annoyed because I wanted Carrie to have her own podcast again, going back to the voiceover Mm -hmm. thing. So it felt like she was a guest on someone else's podcast. And also it didn't feel like they had been doing it for a long time. It felt all kind of newish. Um, but once I got past that, I really got excited about Che. And now hearing that they're going to be with Miranda, I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm even more excited to keep watching. So I need to hear from you, Elizabeth, after season one to see... I want to know how you feel after okay. season one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. There were so many characters to meet though, these first couple episodes. And I kind of just wish they wouldn't have introduced so many new characters at once to kind of like, let us kind of get our footing. Cause we already had so much story with big passing and then just catching up with the characters we know. So I, I love that they brought in so many people. I just, it, it felt starting off those first couple episodes where it was like, we're meeting so many new people it felt a lot for me as an audience member. And I think maybe that's why some people had a harder time with the newer characters is because it was just a lot to take in. Yeah, it was a lot at the same time. Although they, they make us wait for Seema and Seema is for me the best new character. So you've got, you've got that to look forward to Elizabeth. And I'm curious, other than the, the the few spoilers that we've dropped on you, Elizabeth, uh, you know, as a new viewer too, and just like that, what are your, predictions and or your prayers for what is coming up Hmm. well that is interesting my predictions will be that carrie is going to have kind of a round two of finding a partner and it will give us a a taste of what we knew and loved from the original series but also it's going to be updated to like what it's like to date and be in in the world dating on apps and all of that stuff as a however old she is and I hope Charlotte they stay like happily married I hope their family remains you know intact and oh oh we didn't even talk about this which I love so much because I have I I love that um Rose you know isn't Mm. the girly girl my daughter is is very much not a girly girl and I I've had to uh, having grown up with like a southern mom where you have to wear certain things at certain times I've completely let go I mean I did when when Teddy my daughter was five years old you do you I'm never gonna tell you how you have to dress or look or whatever And I love that they're presenting that for Charlotte to process. So I hope that she and Rose find common ground and and their bond gets deeper as Charlotte becomes more accepting of Rose's different style or all of that. So that that's all I can think of right now. Mm -hmm. Very interesting thing to pinpoint. I think you're going to 
you're in for a ride. Yay. I agree with you about keeping Harry and Charlotte. I want them intact. Oh, God, I, I want, yeah. I feel like um, with Friday Night Lights, it was a uh, coach and um, Mrs. Coach together, or what were it was Connie Britton yeah. and Kyle Chandler. It was like, I don't want anything to happen to them. I want them to be my stable presence when I'm tuning into the show. And I feel that way about Charlotte and Harry, where it's just like, please, like, let's just keep them. I, I want them to have conflict and deal with parenting and all of that kind of stuff and friendships. But I just, I love them. Yeah. Night, so I just want I, them. No affairs, no divorces, no breaks. No, nothing. I'm, I'm like, please. kill big, kill, kill them all. Tear, tear kill Miranda and, yeah. and, and, uh, her partners apart. But like, if anything happened with Charlotte and Harry, we would take to these streets. Can I ask you something? Sorry. I know I keep going on and on. Please. Is a fourth going to come in? Because I do feel like without Samantha, you know, I I have two very tight knit group of girlfriends and we're foursomes. And I'm like losing any one wheel on that car sends it off kilter. And I just can't imagine moving forward without a fourth. But it's also very hard to bring in a new energy. I feel like they settle on that in season two where it it seems like there's always a rotating mm. fourth, you know, like they have those scenes at brunch or lunch or whatever. And sometimes it'll be Anthony. Sometimes it'll be Seema. Sometimes it'll be, but it, it seems like they lean into Seema being a little bit more of the Samantha presence than some of the other characters. I would even argue Anthony and Seema sort of take the Samantha role mm. as much as it can be, but it seems like it rotates. So sometimes LTW is eating lunch with them or sometimes Naya, whoever. Okay. The fourth is Che. Elizabeth, sorry to spoil it. It's just going to be. No, but if Che and Miranda, Miranda are Charlotte. Together, no, that can't. No, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> I object. Happen. There's no, there's no replacing, there's no replacing Samantha. You know, it's a threesome with a bunch of new friends now. And I don't know, my, my hope for season three, this is not a spoiler for you, Elizabeth, but is that all of these new characters will be more connect, interconnected as opposed to like one is Charlotte's friend, one is Miranda's, you know, where we can have some group brunch brunches with all five or six of them, whoever sticks around comes back for season three. I do wish the episodes were a little shorter. Mm. And I, I know I say that as someone who was coming on this podcast saying I'll die if these episodes ever end, but I wish they were like a little bit shorter because sometimes I feel it. And, and also they're not trying to service every character each episode. Whereas I, that's kind of where I felt like it got in season two, where it's like each character's having their own storyline and then it feels like it drags a little bit. I would like it if they alternated who sort of the episode was focused on, maybe a few of them at once and have it a little tighter. But I agree. You know, I'm I, I'm yeah, we love them. I, we love them. I don't want it to be shorter because I want every episode to be three hours long, but. I agree with you. I think that like season two was, there was definitely some, um, some, some course correction to season one where there was this criticism that the new characters were all treated like just, they were just sounding boards. They were just, uh, emotional support friends of color. And they, so they make this concerted effort to give each of them like full, you know, four dimensional, three dimensional. How many dimensions are there? There are three, right? There are eight, baby. Eight dimensions. And which is great. But I think you're right, Danny. Then we've got to maybe switch off who's the focus of each episode uh, to give some breathing room to the others. Because we're giving more space to new characters. That that just means less carry. And we do not want less carry. And then it, that no one's really serviced. It felt like then you just start to get something juicy with like 
uh, Dr. Naya Wallace or Seema. And then we, we have to quickly move to the other. I'm like, oh, let me sit in each character's thing for a little while. Uh, and yeah. Last thing. Um, do you think, Danny, that there's any world in which whatever the wounds are could be healed in between now and, and season three after, after, you know, Samantha's triumphant cameo return. And do you think there's any, any world where she actually comes back and, you know, shoots with the cast, even if she's not, even if she's just a, if she's, she's a recurring special guest star. Well, a few things, first of all, how I met your father was just canceled. I know Kim mm-hmm. Cattrall was, uh, on that show, as well as the show on Netflix called Glamorous, which hasn't been announced if it's coming back. So there, in theory, could be some openings in terms of Kim Cattrall's schedule. And my sort of dream, I've let go of the idea of her coming back full time or even making regular appearances. But my dream is that once a season, they pay her $1.3 million (laughs) or however much it was. And once a season, we get a moment with Kim Cattrall where it's like just it works out for everyone. It works out for the audience. We want more Samantha. And I don't think Kim Cattrall or the creatives on this show want to be working together, but maybe we could do something like that. Or, or maybe there is a character that Kim Cattrall uh, likes or uh, people that get along in real life. I don't know if her and Cynthia Nixon or whoever it is get along in real life where we can have a $1.3 million scene with the two of them. That's great. <laughs> or somebody visiting London. That's great. I, mean, I uh... give her the money. Give her the money for once a season, please. I beg that. Uh, that's a great idea. I, Elizabeth, I might have told you this. I don't know. I think I talked about this in the podcast. Who knows? But at one early point of lockdown in an especially deranged moment, I wrote a, I'm going to call it a spec script in big, big air quotes <laughs> that was called Samantha Does London. And it was like <laughs> Samantha's London. Story. And it was, but it was the... The reason that we, we discovered the reason that Samantha isn't had to disappear isn't because she had a falling out over work with Carrie. It was that she's a vampire <laughs> and you know, she had, so she has to sort of like abandon her old life and start a new one with like a group of girlfriend vampires. In London. I mean, Oh my God. Absolutely insane. It's wild that I haven't Matt, put tried that to behind a get paywall. Michael Patrick to read that. Million you know? dollars. Yeah. I would, I would, I, I would it. never do that to people. Uh, but, um, why did I bring that up? Oh, because Danny, you made me think that, um, you know, there, a lot of people are joking that they should just do a, a spinoff that's basically Samantha in London. But what if we get just Samantha voiceover and some I mean, she never has to work with anybody, but she does the voiceover that that you're craving oh. so much. Uh, so we get a little taste of her in every episode and she doesn't ever have to work with the actor. She doesn't want to have to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Just give her a bunch of money to, to film an hour, like whatever she wants, just give it to her to film or voiceover or just give us a little taste. Yeah. And yeah. Or even send in phone videos. Like, I don't know. Can we hire her on cameo and just air them on the show? Like just, you know, a, a self taped phone video of Kim Cattrall as Samantha. I don't know. We could figure out creative ways, but I understand they don't want to film together, but the audience wants it. And the, I think the audience is also saying like, we don't want JT. It's like, right. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Hear, hear them out. I, I did feel like, could we get in the ear of one of the negotiating committee members, the WGA and somehow just one more deal point thrown in, which is that <laughs> the other thing that the studios have to do is broker this thing between Kim and the show and make that happen. So when the strike ends, that's the other, it's like, 
we get our staffing minimums, we get our AI wishes, we get Kim back full time mandatory. It's the like least it or they not, can it's do. happening. The least. Yeah. She slipped right in that cameo. She was just so good and yeah. She's just no one better in that role. It's just so good. She blocked me on Instagram, Elizabeth. I don't know if I told you. It's something um, that I think Michael Patrick King hates me. Uh, since you just mentioned Kim Cattrall, I'm pretty sure because they had reached out to him uh, to me about him coming on my show and then completely ghosted me. Oh, I, <laughs> I do believe. Sure. Since we're talking about feuding. I, I want him if he does listen, I want him to know that I love him. And he, to me, the comeback is the greatest thing ever that's been done on television or otherwise. And so I just had to offer my apologies for anything me and I might have said on my show about just like that. I'm sorry to derail us. No, I, not at all. Because listen, I mean, yeah, people have made snarky jokes on here and uh, and he's still my very best friend. So um, I, I can say as his best friend, I'm sure he loves you and is a fan. And we pick it apart because we love it. Exactly. We love the show and we're such huge fans of these characters in this world. And so we just, we feel so passionately about it. And I think that's, whether you love the show or hate the show, I think just... I mean, he said this in interviews. It's so rare that you have a show where everyone is talking about it, good and yeah. bad, because it's sparking all this interesting conversation. But yeah, there's things I hate about the show and then things that I think are like brilliant about the show. Totally last thing <laughs> like I keep saying. I've said Please. that seven times. I was at a wedding in London recently. I was pretty drunk. Um, and the group, this group of like eight of us were sitting around talking about how much we love sex in the city and how like important it was in our lives. And there was this one guy there who was like saying it was terrible. It was garbage, like whatever. And we all ganged up on him so hard. And it, this ended in me yes. rapping Jade, the Jay-Z lyrics, but like really poorly, obviously <laughs> I think that goes without saying, but you know, when he's talking, it's, I forget the song, but it's, um, come on now. We're going to need to hear okay. a little sample. Watching. Hang yeah, on. We have to hear the whole thing. I'm a rider. She's a roller. Put us together. You never stop both us. Um, wait, but it comes before that. He says she, something like he, she's always riding me unless it's sex in the city. But as soon as the show's over, she's, Back on my oh, yeah, is uh, that Bonnie and Clyde? Yes. Is that um, anyway? Yeah, yeah. So, but I was doing it better than I am now because I was drunk and had confidence. Um, and looking back on that, you just reminded me of that moment, and that was when my friends were like, <laughs> "Okay, we're gonna get you back to the hotel." You're you're yell rapping Jay Z lyrics very poorly at someone trying to prove that Sex in the City is a wonderful show. I, I I salute you and yeah. applaud you. You were standing we have up such for an justice. affinity for that original. Yes. It's there's a, there's a connection that I think people have with that original. It's a comfort show. It's a warm hug. Like so many of us have watched those episodes a million times, whether or not we've watched them in order or just watched the episode for the 20th time when it airs on E or TBS or, or on an airplane or wherever you're watching. It's like, we just feel s such a connection more so than I think, 99% of entertainment over the past 40 years. It's like sex and city is one of those rare things where people who watch it, watch it over and over and over again. And so it becomes almost a, a part of your fabric of your personality a little bit. 
Yeah. So you feel a strong connection to it. And I think with the, the reason it upset you so much, Elizabeth, is like that guy, it was getting at this idea that like pervades even now, which is that art media that is like created by or and or for, let's say, women, mm-hmm. queer people uh, is just um like by definition unserious well that's like what not he was meant saying to be taken as serious. i don't yeah. like it because i guess i'm not a woman or a gay guy i mean he literally was saying these words and that's when i pulled jay-z out because i was like well listen you're wrong first of all mm-hmm. hova is a huge fan alongside beyonce so yeah. You know, if he's not a man, who is, exactly. you know, by the way, all we had dinner in New York a couple nights ago with uh, with a couple of friends. It was really interesting to talk to this last, last, last thing. <laughs> really interesting to talk to a straight married couple, neither of them in like entertainment in any way who watch the show and have, you know, are not coming into it with this sort of like, um, meteor spectator view that we often have but they um just love it you know and they just they just are like wow it's so cool to see these characters that we love but they're dealing with different things because they're in their 50s and by the way the husband who's like a skater punk got kind of an andy rosen type is the biggest fan of them all oh so love it anyway well, and, and unfortunately, it still is all too rare to see women over 50 in the scripted world and see their lives. And I know as a gay man, I tend to search out those kinds of stories. Those are the ones I'm most interested in is, you know, whether it tend to be older women stories. And so it's shocking even to think about like we're in 2023 and how many shows really are about a group of women over 50 still even the ones that were the real housewives they're getting rid of all the oldies and they're replacing them with young ones which i don't want yeah i know that worries me that's a whole other topic but yeah. Yeah. let's do another hour just on real housewives shall we <laughs> just well, um we could come, Matt, you come on everything iconic we'll talk uh, dream thank you both so much for being here uh what a joy what an honor Please tell everybody where they can find you online, even though I'm sure they're already following and listening to you both. Danny? I'm at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter, Instagram. My show is called Everything Iconic. And I have a new book out uh, at the end of October called The Jolliest Bunch. Please pre-order. It's really funny. A collection of funny stories about the holidays. And it's called The Jolliest Bunch. Pre-order wherever you get books. Oh, okay. great. And please come back on Homophilia when the, the book is getting close so we can get it. Oh, I'd love the word to. Out October too. 24th, it comes out. Great. Congrats. Elizabeth Lane. Um, I am at Elizabeth Lame, that's L-A-I-M-E, on Instagram. And then my show, Nobody's Listening Right, is uh, once a week on Wednesdays. And you can find us at Nobody's Listening Right everywhere. We, My husband's very creative and does these fun like clips from our show every week. So check them out on Instagram or TikTok or wherever. Hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to do the K- Carrie, Carrie and Danny's little bubble uh, thing. Uh. Mm. 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 (laughs) thank you guys thank you so much and just like matt is a wow podcast production created and hosted by me matt mcconkey our executive producer is renee colbert if you've got a burning question about a relationship or friendship problem or really anything sex in the city adjacent just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at andjustlikematt at gmail.com and I'll answer your question on the show with my very fancy guests. <laughs>